I can remember reading or something, I think it was on Facebook. It said, it's not God I have a problem with. It's God's fan club that I have a problem with. And when I read that, I, it was something that I could really relate to. I, in my earlier years, I was exposed to a lot of, you know, what I would call God's fan club and people, you know, backing you into a corner and asking you, you know, have you given your heart to the Lord? Are you saved and trying to save your soul or whatever? And it really left a bad taste in my mouth toward religious people. I, to this day, I have a stigma uh, and the stigma I realize may not always be true, but but I still have that stigma toward religious people, or maybe I should say God's fan club, and often I am, you know, turned off by by some of these people. Now, the question I want to deal with today is, are all of God's fan club that you see out of there, all, all the people that you see who profess to be a Christian, the question I, I'm wanting to deal with today is this. Can a Christian be unconverted? Because truth of the matter is, a true Christian should not turn your stomach. A, a true Christian should not turn you off. I mean, I think of Jesus as an example. I think Christ had a dynamic personality. I think people were drawn to him. Specifically, the sinners were drawn to him. Now, he could get a little bit you know, he could turn off a lot of people, especially religious people, because he basically told them, look, you're, you're not even authentic. I mean, he, he, in fact, if Christ were to, to return today back to this earth, he would be killed all over again by religious people because he would tell them, look, your religion isn't doing you a bit of good. So, again, the issue today that I'm dealing with is – can a Christian be unconverted? Is That Really in the Bible? Presents the teaching ministry of David Freeman. There were some statistics I was looking at that said that 84% of Americans claim to believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, and 74% confess commitment to Jesus Christ. Yet, 72% of the same kind of people that claim to be Christian say that America, say the moral value of America is worse than ever before. Now, these statistics are, are, are contradicting one another, and that's the reason I'm dealing with this question today. Can a Christian be unconverted? Because as I, as I look at this, I say, okay, 84% of Americans believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, and uh, 74% confess commitment to Christ. Now, on the surface, it would seem that we are a religious nation, and yet, these same people who are claiming to be Christian as they look at the world around them say that America, 72% of Americans say that the moral value of America is worse than ever before. 
In other words, as we look around us, well, let's just deal with some of these statistics here. Let's let's just go through some of them. Uh, 68% of Americans say divorce is morally acceptable. That's what they're saying today. 68% say divorce is morally acceptable. The divorce rate among Christians is the same as non-Christians, about 50%. And there again, that ought to tell you something when you have two groups of people Christian, non-Christian, and the statistics are exactly the same about the divorce rate. Something's wrong with that statistic. Some, that is telling us something about this issue that we're dealing today with, and that is, can a Christian be unconverted? Let's continue on. 60% of Americans today say having a baby outside of marriage is morally acceptable. It's okay. It's okay. It's what they're saying. 59% say gay and lesbian sexual relationships is morally acceptable today. 59% of Americans are saying that gay and lesbian sexual relationship is morally acceptable today. 63% say sex between unmarried men and uh, women is morally acceptable. And then, you know, if these statistic, statistics are not shocking enough, then you go to another one which is very um, shocking in and of itself that says, despite all the Christian broadcasting evangelism and soul-saving campaigns, there is about an 84 to 97% fall-away rate. In other words, when we, they go back and try to find these people that raised their hand, that gave their heart to the Lord, that said they accepted Jesus, when they go, you know, when they go back to try to find these people, they can't find them. They, they have fallen away. They're not in church. They're not, you know, I'm not sure what they, do, they are doing. Let me repeat that because that, that, this statistic is shocking. Okay, despite all the Christian broadcasting evangelism and soul-saving campaigns, there is an 84 to 97% fall-away rate. My question is, can a Christian be unconverted? Now, as a nation that calls itself Christian, there seems to be this illusion that we can still be deeply religious, meaning involved going to church, involved in all kinds of religious activities, and yet that religion has no bearing or effects on our morality. In other words, it's like, okay, I'm deeply religious by the fact that I go to church, by the fact that I sing in a choir, by the fact that I get involved in all kinds of religious activities, but my life, how I live my life doesn't matter. You know, it's what I would call the merry-go-round of churchianity. And that's a word I made up, by the way, churchianity. Instead of, instead of Christianity, churchianity. But churchianity is, you know, it's Monday night, Wednesday night, Friday night, Bible study. Uh, there's men's clubs, women's clubs. There's singing in the choir. There's choir practice. There's religious conferences to go to. There's children ministries, teen ministries, adult ministries. Then there's the Christmas and Easter plays. And then you have all the big churches with the ping pong tables and bowling alleys and endless activities, support a mission, save the heathen, support a charity. And all of this is necessary in order to be religious. Yeah, I mean, I'm telling you the truth. Church can be like holding down a second job. Now, I think it was James Dobson. He was talking about the subject of courtship. 
He said courtship can be very deceptive because both individuals put their best foot forward. Yeah, I mean, you don't have to even think about this very much. All you got to do is just recall when you were dating. I mean, I'm thinking about my wife. She took four hours to get ready for a date. You know, if I want to go somewhere, if we wanted to go somewhere, I had to say, okay, wait a minute, let me figure this out on the clock here. Let me look at my watch. Uh, I've got to pre-time this four hours because she takes four hours to get ready. So I've got to back this up, you know. And so, yeah, courtship is very deceptive because each individual puts their best foot forward. Now, I think church also can be very deceptive because everybody in there is putting their best foot forward, trying, often trying desperately to cover over huge character flaws. In other words, we, you know, it's a facade. It's what you see on the surface is really not what you're getting deep down inside. Now, this begs the question, though, are we people that go to church, are we just trying to cover over our character flaws or are we overcoming them? Are we overcoming our character flaws? It's a big difference between, you know, you overcoming your shortcomings, your character flaws, and just trying to put on a facade, just trying to look good, just trying to look religious, just trying to look spiritual. And, and, and again, when I think about it, is, is your church even a place where character flaws can be acknowledged and dealt with, or would you be flat out rejected? Would people laugh at you if you told them you had some kind of an addiction or whatever? Is, is your church even a place where you can get help at, is my question. Now, on the other hand, is your church more like a pep rally where you go there and you're made to feel good about yourself? Character flaws and all, you know, it's just, you know, you just go there and, you know, it is, it is literally a pep rally where you feel good by, about yourself when you leave. Now, judging by the statistics that I mentioned earlier, and that is 84% of Americans claim to believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ, and 74% confess commitment to Jesus Christ, and yet 72% of these same people, Americans who claim to be Christian, are saying that the moral value of America is worse than ever before. Now, judging by those statistics, I would have to say that most Christians must just be covering over their character flaws and not overcoming their character flaws. Now, the Bible speaks to this subject of being an overcomer. And it, it, it actually says a lot about this issue. I mean, we're asking, okay, can a Christian be unconverted? And if so, what would define an unconverted Christian? Well, my answer to that would be that he's never overcome the thing that is destroying his life. He's never overcome the sins that, you know, maybe developed early in life, behavior patterns that have developed early in his life. But he's never, he's failed to understand what God expects from him. And that is for him to be an overcomer. So let's take a look at some of these verses and try to explain them. Revelation two and verse seven. It says, "He that has an ear to he has an ear. Excuse me. Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God." Now this is a, a powerful concept here because it says, "Now look, 
to the winner, and that's sort of what the word means, overcomer. It means to the winner, the person who wins, I'm going to give to eat of the tree of life. Well, wait a minute, David. I thought, I thought, wait a minute. I, I thought salvation was by grace and it's a free gift and there's nothing, you know, at all we got to do. Well, sure, uh, salvation is a free gift. I understand that. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. What I'm talking about is what God expects from the person that God has saved, that God has called, given him his salvation, given him his spirit. Now that God has called you, now that God has given you his spirit, what does he expect from you? Does he expect you to be a loser? No, God doesn't call losers. He calls winners. And in other words, he's going to make you a winner by following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, by submitting to his will. Just notice another verse, Revelation 2 and verse 11. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Now, what's that about? What's this talking about, the second death? Well, the second death is the, uh, you know, it's appointed unto all men to die once. We all have to endure this first death, this physical death. But this is a reference to the second death for which there is no more you. There is no more life afterwards. There is a, you know, well, that's another story, a couple resurrections that the Bible speaks of, the first and the second resurrection. But this is a death where there is, you cease to exist. It is the end of you. And it says, you know, to the overcomer, to the winner, the winners are not going to be hurt by this second death. All right, Revelation 2, verse 26. And he that overcometh and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Now, what is this about? Power over the nations. You know, this is talking about when Christ returns, there are going to be people who are qualified to rule with him who are going to be given power. And this says you're going to be given power over the nations. It's really not a complicated concept to understand. I mean, uh, let me try to nail it down in the most simplistic manner I can do here. Let's say that you've been a smoker all of your life, and by God's power and grace, he gave you the ability, you know, with his power and help, you overcame that smoking addiction. Now, I'm not saying it was easy. Believe me, I'm not saying that it was easy. You struggled, but eventually you got the victory over that temptation to smoke. Okay, what person would be better qualified to teach others how to do this than you who have overcome in this lifetime? You've got the experience. You've got the knowledge. You've got the know-how. You, you've, you've done it. And so you're going to be qualified in the kingdom to teach others how to do it. Now, that's just a simplistic example of one particular bad habit. I don't even know if I'd call it a sin or not, smoking, but it's just a bad habit that's really destroying you. It, that's the person that it hurts, you. And, of course, your loved ones also. I mean, I had an uncle and who died of emphysema, lung cancer, and it was a hideous thing to watch him die. Uh, it was hard for my mother to watch her brother die gasping for breath so yeah it hurts others also so maybe it is worse than i think but for the most part it's just hurting hurting you revelation 3 verse 21 to him that overcometh will i grant to sit with me in my throne even as i also overcame and i'm set down with my father in his throne so god doesn't call us to do anything that he himself hasn't done christ was tempted tempted in all areas yet without sin 
Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted in all areas. And so when we struggle, we can go to God and the father turns to his son and says, you know, help this guy. I mean, you know what it's like. And, or maybe I should say the, in many cases, the son turns to the father and says, okay, forgive him. He screwed up again. He, he yielded to that temptation. But my point was that is that Christ had to be an overcomer. He was an overcomer also. And so he's not asking us to do anything that he himself hasn't already done. Revelation 21 and verse 7 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. To the winners, the winners are going to inherit all things. Now, I, well, I could go into a long explanation about what all things are, like the other side of the universe, like, uh, you know, Christ, what does Christ own? Well, he owns everything, and we're going to inherit everything as a son of God. Fascinating. Now, in Ephesians, Ephesians 4 and verse 13, it says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Wow, what a verse. Unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is the objective. This is the goal of the true Christian led by the Spirit of God God is molding, shaping, perfecting you. God is knocking off the rough edges. And so, you know, when we talk about, okay, can a Christian be unconverted? Well, you got to realize, I mean, it, the unconverted Christian is a Christian who just thinks all it's about is just saving my rear end, and that's it. In other words, he's not aware of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is this, to create in you, a new creature in Christ, a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, yes, we don't get there overnight, but it takes a lifetime. But when we talk about these things, the things that you need to overcome, the sins that so easily gets the best of you, okay, we've got a lifetime to deal with those issues. We've got, if you're a Christian, the Spirit of God dwelling in us. And we can follow the leadership of that spirit, and we can get the victory over these things that are destroying us from within. Now, this is what it truly means to be converted. It's not just about getting you saved. You know, God wants to first save you from yourself. I think when we talk about, okay, can a Christian be unconverted, one of the real dilemmas here is that most people, most people going to church, they never ask, okay, they never ask this number one question, and that is, why do I want a relationship with God? Few have ever asked the right question. And the right question is, if we're going to talk about true conversion, the right question is, okay, why do you want a relationship with God? I think the majority of church-going people have never asked that question. And now, think about it. How, how do most People end up in church anyway. How do they get there? Well, they're invited by a friend. Uh, it's a tradition maybe that is passed down from their parents. Uh, many businessmen go there to make contact with other businessmen to better oneself. And as I mentioned you know, before on other programs, that often that a lot of people get involved in a lot of religious activity. It's a way they compensate. 
it's uh, overachieving uh, to make up for the void of moral inadequacies. And so they just busy themselves to death at church trying to compensate when one area is lacking, they overachieve in another area. I think there's a lot of compensation that goes on with people in church. They get on the merry-go-round of churchianity and just work. It's like a second job. You know, they're just busy, 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 always doing something. Now, sort of, I have a poem that my mother gave me a long time ago. It says, I thought it was fitting here. It says, some go to church just for the walk. Some go to laugh. Some go to talk. Some go there for speculation, while some go for observation. Some go there to meet a lover. Some, the pulse, go there to discover. Some go there to meet a friend. Some go there tedious time to spend. Some go there to doze and nod, but few go there to worship God. You know, some people go to church as a status symbol. It makes them look religious or spiritual. In other words, most of my friends are religious, and so it's just I need to fit in with my peers. I need to fit in with the group. Many people go to church, and they honestly don't know why they're going to church. You know, I can remember eating at Bojangles, eating lunch at a Bojangles. Across the road was this big tent church, and it was it was Sunday morning, and the parking lot was filling up fast. A couple got out of their car, and, and she was dressed nicely. And But the husband, he was wearing cowboy boots and a cowboy hat. And his whole demeanor said, you know, I, I really don't want to be here. I would rather be, you know, whatever, roping cows or something. But but uh, I, I really don't want to be here. You know, sometimes people's body language just really speaks volumes. And his body language said, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be going to church. And it's sort of, I thought it was funny, but I clearly understood why he was going to church uh, to please his wife. Now, this brings me to another point worth noting here. I think church can enhance the hypocrite inside of us. You know, at least the man with the cowboy boots and hat, at least he was being authentic when it came to dress. Uh, he, he felt like a cowboy, and so he was dressing like a cowboy, even though he was going to church. You know, often we say things, we shake the preacher's hand, we say things like, well, that was a great message, when we really didn't mean it. Mean it. Chances are we weren't even listening. People ask us how we're doing, and we say great when we're not. We don't dare tell people how we're doing, you know, that we're down and out and depressed, suicidal, eating too much, drinking too much. But we tell others we're doing great. And if Jesus was there among us, he would say, you hypocrite. But let's get back to this, you know, can a Christian be unconverted? And we're asking the question that I think is critical, why does, do you want a relationship with God? You know, the reason you give will determine the depth of your relationship with God. For example, if you say, I just, you know, I want a relationship with God just to get my butt saved, then you're going to have a very simplistic, superficial understanding of God. You're going to be able to quote a few scriptures like, just call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. But beyond that, you're really not going to know that much about God. However, if you want to know God in order to make your life work, then you're going to have a greater understanding of the nature of God. The Bible will be like a service manual that tells you how to fix things, such as when your life is not working. Before we get into a relationship with God, we must first answer this question, why do you want a relationship with God? If you cannot answer that question, then, then I don't think you can ever have a true relationship with God. 
do not underestimate the importance and the power of that question. I want you to imagine walking up to the front door of your church and God appears and stops you and asks you, why are you here? Now, at that point, you know, there'd be a lot of wrong answers, by the way. Well, I'm here just to look religious. I'm here to appease my parents. Uh, I'm here to get saved. I'm here to avoid hell. I'm here to feel good about myself. A lot of wrong answers. But the one and only correct answer is I need fixing. Show me how to make my life work so that my life can glorify you. Now, I don't know how we have missed this. You know, Jesus said, I haven't come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Sinners need fixing. Righteous people go to church. Uh, The church should be like a support group for a bunch of junkies, a bunch of junkies trying to overcome sin. Again, Jesus said, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that that are sick. You know, sick people need the church. Yet, what do you find? You find whole people in church. You know, imagine a hospital full of healthy, wealthy people. No room for the sick here. I've often asked myself the question because, you know, I never wanted to be religious, and I never really liked church that good. But I've often asked myself the question, why do people go to church? What motivates them? What drives them to go to church? Because, I mean, today's churches remind me more of a country club full of healthy and wealthy people. On the other hand, though, this pretense of looking good on the outside is just a facade. In, a, in reality, I think America's churches are sick, even though they look good on the outside. In other words, they have enough makeup to cover the character flaws. The character flaws are just covered up. You in the book of Revelation, there's a warning to our modern-day churches that says, Because you say I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. Notice that, have need of nothing. Look, we're, we're okay. We're okay. And you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So how do we, you know, when we talk about, okay, can a Christian be unconverted? And we're talking about the most important question you can ask that actually leads one to real conversion. And that is, you know, the most important question is, why do I want a relationship with God? I think it would be wise for many churchgoers, including ourselves, myself, you know, maybe to take a sabbatical from church. I think it would do us all a lot of good and maybe not return until we can honestly, humbly say, with all sincerity, I need fixing. And if for some reasons we we cannot utter those words or, or we don't feel like we need to say those words, Don't return to church. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast, watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.